Welcome to Healthcare 2030. This program features conversations and interviews with respected healthcare industry experts discussing the latest topics regarding current issues today and the future of healthcare, innovation, and technology. To learn more about Oxio Health, head over to oxiohealth.io. That's www.oxiohealth.io. Now here's your host, Noel Guillama. Welcome to Healthcare 2030. I am Noel Guillama, your host, and I'd like to introduce to you Carl Larson. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, Carl. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you, Noel. Well, it's been uh, a long time since we've been in front of these microphones. Officially, we left our offices on uh, February 28th um, just to be cautious and, and protect our, our team. And we're recording this on May 22nd, so it's been about 12 weeks. Even though we've continued our blogs, uh, it has been a while before we have been uh, in front of these microphones. So I think, I, I wonder what we're going to talk about, Carl. Well, you know, I I think uh, we might talk about the post-COVID-19 healthcare industry and uh, where we see that going. There's a lot of things going on, but uh, certainly the economy is a is a big part. But uh, I think our focus is on healthcare. So. Why don't you lead out? Well, we could talk about the subject for a very long time. And every time um, I wrote an outline for this sort of, uh, I, I don't I can't say post-COVID because A, COVID isn't done. B, it is very possible that we may live in a COVID world. It may not sort of be a post-COVID the way we think about it. Uh, we don't know. But one of the interesting, uh, sad and confusing thing is that we've received a lot of information, a lot of data, and I, I can't say even today on May 22nd that the data that we have is consistent other than mm. uh, it's a really, really bad virus, it's really dangerous, uh, it has uh, uh, groups that are particularly uh, of high risk that are in, 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 in sort of broad buckets, certainly the elderly, um, you know, I, I, I my my mother's, for example, one of those people that I worry about. Uh, certainly, people that have uh, exi- pre-existing conditions, or, or now as Americans know it, comorbid morbidities. Um, it used to be called pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not funny, but that's just interesting the way the lexicon has migrated. Um, people that have certain um, of uh, a- acute uh, problems. Um, then that's that. That's a big deal. Uh, certainly, people that have asthma, people that have respiratory issues, you know, the chronic, uh, the chronic illnesses. The, the chronic ones are huge. Right. Uh, people that have diabetes seem to be more vulnerable. People that are overweight, obesely overweight, right. uh, have a problem. Um, certainly, there seems to be at least anecdotal that there's a social um, component, uh, social determinant, as is also referred about. We've talked about before. Right. Uh, where you live, how you live, um, certainly in certain communities where there are multi-generational families living together, there seems to be a challenge. So um, it's a really, really big deal. Um, I can tell you that one of the things that from a, from a healthcare administration and, and sort of a, from the healthcare uh, perspective, not from a medical perspective or the, the science perspective, but just the way healthcare 
function that works. I am shocked. Um, I have uh, for three decades almost that I've been in mm. been in healthcare have said that healthcare is recession proof. Yeah. And originally, when we were hearing the reports uh, coming out of England um, with the studies that there could be millions of Americans that could be fall uh, victim uh, of, of this virus, uh, it, the belief was that the healthcare system would not only be overburdened, but that expenditures, that, that activity would just be off the charts. Right. And what we now see, sort of, again, from the administration part, which is what we look at, we, we don't give medical advice, it's been shocked uh, what has happened is by, yeah. by basically shutting down the healthcare, uh, the non-COVID-related healthcare uh, that we've had uh, a first-in-history collapse of, of, of the econ- economics of healthcare. Well, I think we, I think, you know, to go back, and pick up what you were talking about with respect to individuals. You know, the the virus really affects those with a weakened immune system. And we'd always felt that the healthcare industry was relatively immune to the economy to a large degree. What we found is that's not true because there were situations, and some of which we want to talk about in this podcast, that have occurred that we could not and did not ever forecast. Uh, situations that have 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 begun now to, and, and they're only beginning to happen. They haven't occurred. They're beginning to happen in our hospital systems, uh, beginning to happen with our primary care physicians, the those that are key in community-based uh, practices. So we've got a lot of areas that we thought we had solid resilience in our healthcare system, but we have found we've we've got some deep cracks that have to be repaired. So what we want to get into today is beginning with hospitals, talking about how our hospitals and our hospital systems have been affected, and uh, they've been af- affected adversely. So well, the the. the the fascinating thing from sort of the academic point of view and, and the historical point of view is that not only this has never happened, nobody thought mm-hmm. about it. Uh, we'll talk about later, but this, this virus and the way we, we as a society reacted to it um, was for sure a black swan. Okay. True. Now we'll talk about other things in the in in, in the future, but it was a black swan because no one ever anticipated. Right. No one ever wrote about ever. There's no writing about this that I have seen, and I I read half my day that you would shut down the healthcare system mm-hmm. in, in totality, other than COVID treatments, and what that did uh, is unprecedented. And let me give, let me give you just one set of facts that is that is stunning, uh, even though. We have written 10 blogs about the United States of healthcare, and the argument we have been saying until COVID was that one of the reasons the United States uh, economy was so stable, it wasn't growing incredibly, but it was stable, in fact, was because so much of of the economy uh, was healthcare, right. okay? 18% of gross domestic product in the United States was healthcare, and I say was because we don't know what the future is going to be. 
I, I have no doubt that it will get to there and more, but we don't know exactly what it is today. Let me give you an example. So, so when you have the largest section or the black largest portion of the U.S. economy be healthcare, when you have the largest employer by industry being healthcare, and when you have one of the fastest growing industry uh, being healthcare, now it's not the fastest. Technology and other things grow faster, but healthcare, considering it's so large, had been growing at 5% compounded uh, uh, interest or right. compounded rate right. for basically 50 years, mm -hmm. okay? And that's why it went from 5% of GDP in 1965 to 18% in 2019. Um, uh, by the way, I, I think it'll return. But what happens with that, okay, is no one had ever thought what happens if something, if this kind of black swan to healthcare, right. okay, happens. Right. And what happens is this. In April, the United States government reported that gross domestic product for the first quarter uh, dropped 4.8%, which wow. is, if I recall, the largest single drop in a single quarter going back probably to the Depression for certainly in, in what we call modern history, the last 50, 60 years. The, f the crazy part about that, it's not that just the 4.8%. But that forty-seven percent of that four point eight percent was healthcare. Right. Right. So think about it. You 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 had certainly in the in the first quarter the beginnings of a shutdown. Okay. Even though we left early in February, late in February, you were starting to see the shutdown in March. Certainly the the certainly for sure the last two weeks of March, probably slowing down in the third and, and you know maybe the second week of March. Um, uh, you had. You know, the airline industry, you had the cruise industry, mm -hmm. you had, I think, automotive was already starting to shut down. You had a lot, you know, the, the hospitality industry was starting to shut down. All those right. industries were starting to shut down. All the quarantine and lockdown just right. shut, so, shut them down. But the one that went off the cliff on, on a, both a relative and a real basis was healthcare. Right. And it's stunning because because that, that ramification um, has been, you know, breathtaking. And, and that's... It is. And it isn't over. That's that's the um, that's the part that's a little unsettling, you know. At uh, looking at at you know some other statistics, the you know the the loss of small businesses in our economy and those that have had to shut down and those that are closed and may never reopen, uh, a large fraction of or not a large fraction, but a fraction of those are practices, physician practices. Uh, those are small businesses also. They employ less than less than 500 employees, and that's a critical issue for us from a community-based health care because they're the tip of the spear for us. Uh, so, Well, uh, we're, seeing, we're seeing reports of, of, of physicians overall uh, dropping by 70, 80 percent. Yes. And in some cases, uh, it could be, it's even more, especially the, the sort of, they call it the high-end specialty. Yeah. Um, and, and primary care physicians uh, have taken a big hit um, for a number of reasons. A, they have a lower uh, 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 income based on other specialties, mm -hmm. um, among the lowest, let's be realistic. Mm -hmm. uh, the high-end being sort of neurologists and surgeons and cardiologists and, cardiologists yeah. and orthopedics and things right. like that. Um, uh, so that's a big problem. They didn't have the safety net. Second is mm, it is a lot easier for a patient, which I like to call a consumer also, 
is to defer primary care, defer even cardiology, defer OBGYN, uh, or you know, or say at least GYN anyway, uh, defer uh, pediatrics even. Sure. Okay. Uh, and and we can talk about it uh, also is that there has been, at least for a while. Let me tell you, it was a while. You had a tremendous surge in telemedicine, and we'll talk about that later. But that surge has actually now begun to come down um, because uh, people got what they needed, okay? Mm -hmm. People have gotten adjusted. Um, you saw humongous surges. Some companies that are public companies reported a 60 70% increase. But now the data tells us that that number has gone down, uh, maybe on a relative basis, maybe 20% over what it was similar time last year because it's becoming the new normal. Now, we have, I know you do too, have a tremendous uh, faith and confidence that telemedicine, remote care, IoT devices right. are going to continue to take a bigger part of healthcare. Uh, but it's no, but it, it, this emergency has begun to pass. And, and, and going back to hospitals, the things that I find the most stunning are, are two, two, docu two items that, that ran across my, my computer screen. Um, one is that the hospital industry is losing about $1.7 billion a day. And, and, and most people do not understand that hospitals, are, are both hospitals certainly have emergency rooms. Most hospitals are treating those acute cases where people come in mm -hmm. um, with you know, literally life-threatening issues. But the hospital's day-to-day -day, um, is, is what is sort of called elective care, even though many times it's not. You know, if you need a knee replacement and you can't walk in a wheelchair to the system, it's elective care. It's elective to care. you, it, it's, it's urgent. It's a, it's a, it, it, it is a big deal. It's life-threatening. Same thing with people that might need bypass surgery that, you know, it may be they're, 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 they have temporary things they can do. People certainly that need other type of orthopedic work, uh, people that may need, uh, you know, angiograms, people that may need, uh, you know, uh, other things that are really, really serious, uh, even biopsies, even, right. even colonoscopies, you know, being pushed out there. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm concerned about for the system and society is that what is the cost of that long term? Right. I, you know, that's uh, that's been a big issue in a lot of what we've read recently and, and a lot of... <clears throat> Physician groups are speaking out about their very deep concern that many people have put off just not elective surgeries only, but certainly just uh, seeing their doctor on a regular basis, those checkups and things that some people need to have uh, on a regular basis just to maintain their level of wellness. So uh, I've, I've read quite a bit, and I know you have also, that that's a big concern for physician groups that people have put off uh, seeing the doctor, talking to the doctor. And of course, that's where uh, telemedicine properly implemented could provide some stopgap. But um, that is a big issue uh, and, and no question. Uh, but what, one of the things that we talked about before and, and we've, dis we've discussed on podcasts before as well as in blogs, is the issue of fee-for-service versus managed care. And, you know, one of it, it, it occurs to me, and I think, you know, you and I certainly have talked about it, and that is how is the fee-for-service uh, physicians, how have they been impacted 
versus those that were really mostly managed care. Um, I think we've I think we've seen a greater adverse effect in the fee for service providers than in the in in the managed care. Do you want, do you care to address that? Sure, but let's go back one step further, even okay, because we we know okay that most of the most of the people not. A majority. I don't know what, how much the major, beyond majority. Majority of the people that have gone in to the hospital for COVID are, according to what they tell us, are people over sixty-five years old, and that that's a really important thing because that goes back to economics. Right. Okay. Oh, every, anyone in the United States that that is a legal resident of the United States is sixty-five years old is covered by Medicare. Medicare plays a flat rate for COVID treatments. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they pay based generally, okay, give or take sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars for a traditional uh, uh, COVID treatment based on on the DRGs, diagnostic related group. So the problem with that is that is I guarantee you, based on what I know about hospitals being on the board of trustees, even that a hospital spends a lot more than than seventeen thousand um, dollars, and that's one of the discussions we had earlier. Mm-hmm. In, in this podcast is the difference between Medicare rates, remember that conversation, right, right, and, exactly. and, and and commercial rates. Um, and I think that we talked about the time that commercial insurance pays, Pri- private, insurance, a, private yeah. insurance pays about 250% more than Medicare. So right. take, take that point of reference. That's really important. And that's one of the things that's caused this tremendous shock to the hospitals. Not only are they eliminating effectively almost all elective care, as they call it, in quotations here, air quotations, um, but they're also getting a relatively, I'm going to argue, a modest amount of money for the COVID treatment of Medicare patients, which I am confident is less, a lot less than it costs the hospitals. So now let's go back to managed care. So in the in the other side, one of the biggest impacts that 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 brought back uh, a, a, a lot of thoughts to me was that. In a, the, generally, the healthcare industry has been driven by fee-for-service Medicare, uh, or fee-for-service care, including yeah. Medicare. Medicare is about seventy <clears throat> percent uh, fee-for-service, and and uh, commercial insurance is, is probably even higher than that. So what happens is it's it's called tra- basically transactional or per encounter. So the more encounter a doctor sees, the more money he's going to make. So to the doctors that were primarily fee-for-service, or let's call it encounter-based, they took the biggest hits because if they're not seeing patients, they're not generating any revenues. They're not billing. Zero. I mean, it goes to zero. So many of those doctors had, by definition, furloughed their staff because there was nothing coming in the door. On the other side, which is a very interesting conversation we also can dive in leap deeper, is you have doctors that are in managed care programs, what are generally referred to as capitation um, uh, or, or at-risk contracts, where they are paid up what is called a per member per month, okay, for a pool of patients. Mm-hmm. Those doctors continue to get paid. All the HMOs continue to pay those doctors, whether the doctors are seeing patients or not. Now, they have to be open and they have to provide the service, but I would suspect that those doctors uh, have had their financial uh, condition be a lot better than most doctors. And for years, for decades, most doctors were avoiding managed care 
because they did not like to have sort of that capitation. Here's $100 a month. You're taking care of the primary care of these patients. Right. right. Um, they were used to having that, that encounter-based compensation. So today you're seeing a tremendous gap between the doctors that were primarily fee-for-service versus those doctors that were primarily uh, capitated or managed care. I can tell you that a couple of times in my life, I've run systems that were 80, 90% uh, capitated, which is, you know, maybe today's world lingo, we call it membership-based maybe. Yeah. And they were members to the HMOs. And the, the money that we were given by the HMOs came on the fifth of the month for the care of that month, um, no matter what. If we managed it well, we did well. If we did not manage it well, we did not. So those doctors today that are receiving managed care payments are doing well, period. There's no other way to say it, So at least financially well. And those doctors also, and I know many, that adapted incredibly fast to telemedicine, which is an interesting thing we could talk about. Yeah. So that, that many doctors, as a matter of fact, I, I read a survey that said that as many as 65% of doctors were now having some component of primary care in their practice. Well, in a managed care environment, um, uh, one of the great opportunities is to provide managed care. I can tell you that before we had the technology solution that we had today, we had people that literally were case managers that would call the doc, the patients, sometimes, Carl, on a daily basis. We had patients... Uh, in rare cases that were not what's called compliant, meaning they were really right. not taking their medications on time, and particularly di you know insulin with diabetes and a few other things, and we would have nurses, sometimes doctors, call them and make sure they took their two o'clock pill or right. their three o'clock pill, right. because it was that important uh, for their of, health. Kind of a remote caregiver in a way. In, in a way, so yeah. it, now what happened is those doctors, especially since the waiver of Medicare. Uh, to use, you know, more secure systems. If you could now use, you know, Zoom or some other relatively off-the-shelf inexperienced platform um, to communicate with a patient, um, that changes everything. Right. And patients, the interesting thing that I think has moved the needle this time is by having those people, those, those over, particularly over 65, be able to access their primary caregiver um, because they had no other option, using literally their iPhones to communicate is going to be a change that, and, and, and this is something we've talked about, and I think we wrote about it in one of our, our blogs, that's going to take what I thought was going to be 10 years of the advancement. Mm -hmm. That's, in fact, one of the reasons we called this, this, this podcast Healthcare 2030 right. is that we are confident that by 2030, healthcare was going to change because it was going to have to change because it was going to be mandated to change. Now, and I've said this a few weeks ago in a conversation, is that I think that 10 years of, 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 of uh, evolution, transformation, uh, you know, revolution, whatever word you want to move or, or use is going to happen in 10 quarters. It won't happen in 10 months. No. It can't. No. But it might happen in you know, two and a half years. Um, and I think that healthcare is going to be dramatically changed um, because of what has happened with COVID and the way hospitals have reacted, the way HMOs have reacted, the way doctors have reacted, and the way consumers have reacted. Right. So, you know, talking about the state of our hospital system, um, 
you know we've we've seen uh, of of the issues that have economic issues that have resulted from this pandemic um, not only in the small business but also in hospitals and you've you've touched on that um, fee-for-service and managed care has been a component in the problem that hospitals I think have been uh, have been facing I, I am curious what your thoughts are on the future state of our hospital system uh, not just relative to fee-for-service versus managed care but the state of our hospital system going forward based on what the economics are emerging to be um that's a really good question and I, I actually didn't think you were going to ask me that question uh, but let me tell you a story okay and i'll tell you what what i think can happen in uh, 1996 okay so you know 25 26 27 years ago depending yeah, we, on what happened we were young men back then. i don't know about that uh i approached a hospital in northern miami it doesn't exist anymore, by the way. Maybe that's a story. And I said, listen, we have 10,000 patients that we get paid capitation from this well-known HMO. And I need to be able to manage uh, the utilization. And we had, it was a very seasonal, you know, nor, you know Northern sure. Dade County was very seasonal. Sure. Sure. So you, you, we were very qu relatively quiet in the summers. And then, you know, right around uh, Halloween and certainly... Uh, and by Thanksgiving, right. we were we were fully staffed, a lot of activity. Plus, you had the sort of the flu season that always happens in, in, in right. Florida and everywhere else. And then we were we were really screaming, almost operating double shifts, until you know the spring or what we would say here Easter maybe. Um, and I went to the hospital, and we had lots of data. You know me, I, I've always been about data. And we realized that we had these huge fluctuations. And what happened is those financial fluctuations made it made it made it hard to manage the cash flows. So I went to a hospital and I said, here's the deal. I will pay you, okay? I want to I, I sublease, I remember the conversation mostly, 10 beds, okay? And I want to pay you $1,000 a day for those beds, whether I use them or not. Take or pay. Take or pay. So, it, but, but, um, I get sort of the equivalent of, of, of sort of relative value units. If I go to 12 and I only used eight, it sort of averages out. And what I was trying to do is just standardize the money going out the door, mm -hmm. okay? Um, I guess the equivalent, imagine, you know, maybe that would be a good thing, but imagine if your interest on your home adjusted every day. Right. Okay, you, you know, when the market's going down, you're doing great, but when it's not, or the interest rate market's going down, it's really hard to manage that way. Sure. So that's the way it was healthcare. Right. And and they were like, we're never, ever going to do capitation. I'm like, I don't understand. You got 10 <laughs> empty beds right. every day. Right. Let me pay for those beds, and you provide the service, and we'll pay the doctors, and they couldn't wrap their heads around it. And And I'm not aware to this day of any hospital that does that. Okay, it could be in California, by the way, because that's California's always been different to me. But it, it, they've never done that. They've always wanted to go out there, and I know they're going to hate me, but sort of, you know, have the transaction. They, they they forget. First of all, they forget they're in the hospitality business. But the next thing is they sort of want to want to want to want to hit the register, right? Right. Want to hear that cha ching? And I'm like, well, that's that that isn't the future. The future is going to be where just like we manage the risk by providing great care, we had a huge incentive, and we had this conversation. 
that real managed care companies have a huge incentive to keep patients healthy. Yeah. Okay. And and, and people have not, they, they, we as an industry have not done well because I consider me part of it in, in conveying that. Right. They, they think that there's an incentive to deny care and then the patient gets sick and, 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 uh, and has to, uh, you know, have more, more, big, more treatment and, and, and more issues. Um, so, I think what's going to one of the things going to happen is hospitals are going to learn how to do managed care, and they're going to partner uh, or receive uh, 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 contracts where they share the upside and they share the risk, and and the risk meaning their their fixed costs. Remember, the hospital has a fixed cost. Right. That real estate's not going anywhere. Right. Their base uh, contract services is not going anywhere. The electricity is not going anywhere. All of those things are fixed costs. All the maintenance, everything. All of those things to, are fixed yeah. costs. Yep. So I think I think that I think that hospitals are going to look more favorably to what be traditional managed care. In the old days, and I'll just finish here, they used to do something called uh, PHOs, which is uh, physician hospital organizations, where they try to negotiate bundled payments. Recently. Certainly, as part of the Affordable Care Act, right. uh, what some people still call Obamacare, they created something called the ACOs, which are basically groups of doctors and sometimes hospitals that that receive an incentive for uh, providing uh, optimal care, and if they share any any savings that Medicare has, they haven't been successful as a class. Right. Some of them have done very well. Um, but it's maybe starting to turn their idea. Imagine if a hospital had a managed care contract, as I said, we talked about earlier with, sure. with, with doctors, and they were getting a chunk of their revenue, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. whether the hospital beds were occupied or not. Right. That, so I think that, I think that hospitals are, are, are going to materially change. They're going to look more favorably in managed care. Um, they're probably going to downsize and get more optimize their existing facilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may eliminate um, uh, certain services that were not cost effective. And I think the biggest single impact is going to probably be, which we'll go back to discuss it in another uh, podcast, is I think hospitals realize that part of their base financial load is all of these physician practices they've acquired. Yeah. Okay. And right now, depending on on the numbers, uh, plus or minus twenty percent of all physicians are are affiliated with hospitals. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you that 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 some of them may have tried, but overwhelmingly, those do- physicians expect to be paid. They have non competes or professional contracts, and and that probably is putting a tremendous burden on hospitals. So, I I I considering they're the largest part of healthcare, about thirty four percent of of healthcare. You can't talk about healthcare and the impact uh, on healthcare without talking about hospitals. So that's why we started with hospitals. Well, we have, and and so you know, heading toward wrapping up here, what um, you know, what we what we have talked about, and uh, I think what we want to wrap with is rolling back and circling back into our community-based uh, uh, healthcare is the role that the hospitals are, are playing in community-based healthcare, and, and now looking at the failure rate of some of the smaller hospitals, 
the impact uh, on community-based health care and, and that combined with the, the difficulty that primary care physicians are having keeping themselves open, that sets us up for some real potential issues downstream on, on uh, how we serve our whole population, particularly the rural population in the U.S. So um, you want to you want to wrap up with a comment about uh, community-based uh, health care and, sure. and I, take us into the next podcast? Yeah, so I think what's going to happen, and this is what you're, where you're heading with this, is that I think we're going to realize that with the use of technology that we have today that we did not have five years ago, we certainly didn't have it 10 years ago, and more importantly, with now a consumer, okay, that is now comfortable using particularly telemedicine, uh, remote care, all of those things that COVID drove years. What has happened with COVID and remote care and telemedicine has been pushed forward years. So now we have the ability to connect the hospital, okay, um, the primary care physician, the specialty physicians, and the paper and the patient using technology. Mm-hmm. That I got to tell you, if you had asked me, um, you know, what was it? Twelve. If you had asked me thirteen weeks ago, mm-hmm. I would have said it's probably twenty twenty five. Right so, now, I'm going to tell you it's probably twenty twenty two. Without without intending to create a pun, but actually doing that, we're actually able now to get all of these these practitioners and the patient into one zoom not into one room but into one zoom so uh, uh it, it sort of works and that's yeah, so. again we we talked a little bit um about the 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 challenges that this poses for healthcare. but in a future podcast we'll talk about the silver lining there there is a silver lining in this so yeah. thank you very much carl for this and uh it's hope been good i i hope it has been educational to our our listeners and hopefully they can check our our uh, our websites and thank you for being part of healthcare 2030 until next time thank you for listening to our podcast to learn more about our company please check out our website at oxiohealth.io that's www.oxiohealth.io